I need help. I will help. Two very simple sentences. Common words, simple words. I need help. I will help. Simple statements, but extremely difficult confessions. Simple statements that many people are unwilling to make, and many of us do not make often enough. I can help. I will help. Two statements that should actually be at the tip of our tongue on a regular basis because of who God has made us to be. But we've bought a mantra, a mantra that is contradictory to what God has revealed to us. We've bought a lie that says it's about me, myself, and Jesus. Outside of the church, we've bought a lie, it's me, myself, and I. But in the church, we've bought a lie, me, myself, and Jesus. That it's all about me and how I'm doing in my relationship to Jesus. When in reality, it's not me, myself, and Jesus. It's God, others, myself. Scripture reveals to us in Genesis chapter 2 that after God had created humanity, he finds something that's not right with humanity. And it's the first thing that he says is wrong. He says, it's not good that humans are alone. And so he creates other humans to be together. Loneliness is the first thing that God identifies as not being right with creation. Not only are we created to be together, we're also redeemed to not follow Jesus alone. It's not an individual redemption that you've got going on with the creator of the universe. What I mean by that is this. God did not forgive you and save you just so you'd have an individual relationship with God. That's a part of the picture. But it's much bigger than that. You are not redeemed to follow Jesus Christ alone. You're actually redeemed into a people group. In 1 Peter chapter 2, there's a variety of different ways that this is illustrated. The first way it's illustrated in 1 Peter chapter 2 is it says that you are a living stone being built into a spiritual household. And when you look at that illustration, it becomes really evident quickly how when we're individualistic, we're missing the whole point because an individual stone is what? Nothing. But when you put stones together, you have a wall. You put multiple walls together, you have a house. But an individual stone in and of itself cannot accomplish its mission. And it goes on then to say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, that you've been redeemed into God's people. You're not a people for your own, but you're a people for his possession, a royal priesthood. And in each word he uses, he uses the plural. Why? Because we've been brought into a family, the family of God. We were not created to be alone, and we're not redeemed to follow Jesus alone. And we see that in the very first word in this Bible reading that we're looking at this morning. The very first word in our Bible reading from Galatians 6 verse 1 is the word brothers. Now we read that and we might think, oh, he's just talking to the men. No, this is a, a term used to say brethren or family of the congregation. It would be very fine to translate this brothers and sisters in Christ. What Paul is doing, he's reminding them that, hey, you're the family of God. So by this one word, we're reminded that we have a membership. We have reminded that we've been united into the family of God. And the family of God is a much bigger deal than our physical families. 
the family of God is a much bigger deal than our physical families. We miss this a lot. Our physical families are an amazing gift. And don't hear me this morning downplaying that at all. Our physical families are an amazing gift of God, but they're temporary. They're temporary. The family of God is eternal. You're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. You're not going to be married for eternity. You're not going to be mom and dad for eternity. You're not going to be brother and sister and cousin for eternity. But you're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ for eternity. The family of God has a whole new level of importance. Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 is recorded for us, approached by his disciples. And his disciples are like, hey Jesus, your mom is here to visit with you. And this is how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 12, verse 50. Matthew 12, verse 50. Jesus says this, Here are my brothers and my mother, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, listen to that again. Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Radical. Absolutely radical. Jesus has just altered things again. Has basically said this, Your physical family is important, but in reality, your spiritual family is eternal. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're reminded that we were not redeemed to follow Jesus alone, but rather we're redeemed into the family of God, a family that is eternal. And so this morning, we're really going to be challenged for a few moments on what it means to have a vibrant spiritual life. And a vibrant spiritual life begins by recognizing that it's not alone. It's actually impossible to have a vibrant spiritual life alone because it's a contradiction to what a Christian is. A Christian is brought into the family of God. And so this morning in Galatians chapter 6, we're we're told a couple of things here, a couple of encouragements for us. We want to look at a couple of those encouragements today. As the family of God, what's our responsibility to one another? It begins in verse 1. He says right away, If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. In other words, we can't go alone because all of us have blind spots. All of us have blind spots to certain character traits and certain behaviors in our lives. Nobody sees themselves perfectly. How many of you have ever gotten home at the end of the day from your work and your spouse kind of looked at it and said, you wore that? And I've even got a pretty good fashion eye and I've heard that. Because what? You need someone outside of yourself sometimes looking and seeing reality. Do you have someone in your life that's seeing reality? Because you have blind spots. Now this is extremely difficult. This does not go over well in the church or in the world. So let's take a closer look here and understand, what does this mean that we should have people talking to us about sin in our lives? Look with me here at verse 1. I want to point something out. It says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, this is not saying, hey, I saw you sinning, so I caught you. What this is saying is when somebody is entrapped 
in wrongdoing. What I mean by that is this, they're almost like they're drowning. They're outside of the spirit, they're walking in the flesh, and they're struggling for life. So it's not necessarily that you caught them in the act of something, but someone is entrapped outside of the Holy Spirit, so they're living in the flesh of God. So they're struggling to move on. And it encourages us then, hey, you who are spiritual, and this is another place then where we get caught up because we're like, geez, no one's perfect, so if no one's perfect, who's going to go talk to them? Because if you go talk to them, then they're going to say, well, who are you to talk to me? You're not perfect. When it says, you who are spiritual, it's not saying, you who are perfect. It's not saying, you who are, have never fallen down the same path. It's simply saying, you who are walking in the Spirit at this time. Go back to Galatians chapter 5, and the context is what? Walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So those of you who are walking in the Holy Spirit, what? You need to approach when you see someone struggling. This doesn't simplify it very much because it's still a difficult conversation. So we need to keep two things in mind when approaching other people. The first is this, a watchfulness. That's why the Apostle Paul says here, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And so when we go to talk to someone about behavior, our character in their life, the very first thing we have to do is we got to say, God, make me mindful that I don't fall down the same path. Make me mindful that I have the same tendencies. And when you go in with that mindset that I have the same tendencies, it removes you from a pedestal. Because you don't go in as one who doesn't understand, why the heck are you doing X? But you go in as one who understands saying, I've been in the same spot. I've got the same tendency in my heart. And so going in though, you know you've got to be watchful that you don't fall into the exact same pattern. And as you go in watchful, he also says you have to go in gentle. The imagery here is almost as a, a mother with their child, of just coming alongside of them and nurturing them along. It, it, it implies patience. It implies time that you're going to have to come alongside and walk with them through it. So when we approach people, we've got to first be watchful. Because whenever we're approaching people, whenever we point out the wrong in someone else, there's always a danger that we ourselves are going to move to a pedestal. It happens all of the time. And this is why, if you look in verses 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul turns his attention to saying, hey, 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 as you're doing this, be really careful because you don't want to deceive yourself. You don't want to deceive yourself into what? Judging yourself against them. Because the temptation is always this. Well, they're struggling with that. I'm doing pretty good. And that's what the Apostle Paul's given us the warning here, saying, whoa, 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 for each will have to bear his own load. In other words, it's, it's not about how you're doing in comparison to your neighbor. It's how you've been faithful what you yourself have been given. And so as we approach one another, we need to be watchful. We need to be gentle. But it's not just a matter of approaching one another about our behavior or character that needs refining. It's also about carrying one another's burdens. Look with me, if you would, at verse 2. So after he specifically talks about the issue of approaching one another about wrongdoing, he says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Approaching one another about sin in our life is an aspect of that, but it's not the whole picture. We're not just called to call people out on their sin, but we're also called to walk alongside of people in the burdens of their life. 
This might be emotional. This might be mental. This might be financial. This might be physical. This might be work-related. There's a variety of different burdens, things that are weighing us down, not in allowing us to walk in the joy of the faith of Jesus Christ. And so the burden can be a variety of things. Why do I say that this morning? I say that because he's moving outside of the realm of just sin here when he says, so you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ, if, if you had to say, well, what's the law of Christ? Well, when Jesus was approached and said, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What, what summarizes all of the commandments? Jesus responds by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And he says, the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so to fulfill the law of Christ is not just pointing out sin, but it's coming alongside and loving your neighbor as yourself, helping them move forward. And so you and I are called in the family of God to come alongside of each other. At times, that's going to mean difficult conversations about behavior and character. At times, that's going to mean coming alongside and doing things for one another so that we can bear each other's burdens, so we can be restored to a position of joy. Now, this is a challenge. I think if we look at both of those issues, talking to others about their character and their behavior and bearing one another burdens, and then we go back to what we started with, I can help, I will help. There's one of the four things that we do well. It's I will help when it comes to bearing someone else's burden. But when it comes to having a hard conversation about behavior or conduct, very few are willing to say, I'll help with that talk. Also, very few are willing to say, I need help when it comes to just general burdens in our life. And that's why so often the general burdens of our life rob us of our joy in Jesus. Because we're unwilling to say, I need help. This is a challenge for some of us because we are brought up in what? Pull up your bootstraps, right? Do it yourself. Personal responsibility. And this is not speaking against personal responsibility. Again, you stand before the judgment seat for yourself. But it is saying you can't go it alone. You're responsible for what God has given you, your character and your behavior, but you cannot handle all of the burdens alone. If you think you can handle them alone, then check out the verse again. If you think you can handle them alone, that means that you can fulfill the law of Christ without bearing one another's burdens. So you're breaking the law of Christ right there. Every single one of us at some point and in different moments need help. Sometimes that's a one-day help. Some days that's a nine-month. Some days that's a ten-year help. Someone walking alongside, walking through that burden with us. We were created, we were redeemed into the family of God where we'll have hard conversations and where we will carry one another's burdens. So why? Why have hard conversations? Don't miss this. We have hard conversations, verse 1, should restore him. We don't have hard conversations. So it's like, well, I told them about their sin. We're done with that situation. The point of talking to someone about their sin is what? To restore them. It's not to put a list out in the hallway that says, just want to make everyone aware we're talking about these sins. The goal is restoration, to bring something back into working order and condition. We don't talk to someone about their wrongdoing, so they're like, well, at least I can get it off my chest and I know that I'm right. No, we approach them and talk to them, what? So we can restore to working order. 
If you have any other goal, you should not approach someone. If you have any other goal but to see them restored, you should not approach them. Because our goal should be singular. Restore them to the relationship with God, to one another, in the family of faith. So what do we do? What do we do? God has created us to, to be together in a community. Before we get into some practical items, there's something we need to talk about just real quickly, and that's this. In an individualistic society, it's really easy to pull back and to become a consumer rather than a contributor. So here's what's happened in the church world. The church world has changed into consuming. Here's what I mean by that. We now pick different things from different churches that we like and we want. When in reality, the church, the word itself, ecclesia, means gathering of people. The church is not a nonprofit business in the business of having seven different programs that you can choose from. The church is a community of people that said, we're going to travel together in this world. The church is way more than the preaching and the music on Sunday morning. Way more than that. You can actually listen to preaching and music every Sunday for your whole life and still never go to church. You hear that? You can listen to preaching and music every Sunday your whole life and still not go to church. Because church is God's people living and traveling together. And so the question for you this morning is this. Are you part of the church? What I mean by that is this. Do you belong to other people and other people belong to you? You're responsible to them and they're responsible to you. God created us to be together in the walk of faith. Whether that's king of glory, whether that's first church of wherever, it doesn't matter. Each of us are created to be in a context of community. And we have to be really careful that we don't lapse into consumerism because it drains us of life. Listen to this for a moment. It drains us of life, actually, when we become consumers rather than contributors. Because what? I'm actually not living out my purpose using the gifts that God has given me to use. And it's not just bad for me, but it's bad for the people that would benefit from me contributing. And so we were created for community, to be with one another, to travel together. Every week, you can go home, and you can listen to the best preacher in America on the Internet. Okay, if you haven't realized how bad I am yet, that's because you haven't been made aware of the Internet. Every Sunday... Every week, you can listen to the best preacher in America, and you can watch the best praise team in America in your home. I listen to Tim Keller every single week, top five preacher in the world of all time. Well, why in the world would I come to King of Glory then on Sunday? It's because it's not about the preacher. It's not about the music. It's about traveling together as a community of people in a specific time, in a specific location. That's the church. Now, the church often has a teacher who's been set aside to study the Word of God and lead that group. But it's about that group traveling together. So how about you today? Are you traveling and contributing? So what do we do practically? I want to share with you four things quick that all of us should be doing right now to enter into this life. The first thing is this. Fight isolation. Fight isolation. The number one attack of the enemy, Satan, and the number one default of a sinful heart is this, be by ourself. 
It's the number one thing the enemy does because the enemy knows gets you isolated, you can believe your own lies, and you're not going to have someone to help you with your burdens. We have a hamster at home, and we started with this little simple cage with our hamster, and that hamster, let me tell you, that hamster found a way out of that cage. I still don't know how. You, I literally, you'd wake up in the morning, the hamster's gone, and you'd inspect the cage, and you'd be like, okay, enough with the jokes, honey. I mean, there's no way. You're looking at, you just put the hamster back in. What happens? The hamster gets out again. I still don't know how. The hamster would do what? Find any way, any avenue to get out of that cage. Find the smallest of cracks and work that crack until they could get out. You know what the enemy is doing and our flesh is doing in our lives? It's finding the smallest of excuses. And it's trying to take that excuse and move you away from people. Oh, had a really hard day. I had to work an extra hour today, and i got to be at work at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Just not, I'm not going to go to small group tonight. It's that simple. And it happens one week, and then what? Actually, last week was just fine. I wasn't at small group, and God didn't strike me with lightning. So this week, eh, there's a baseball game. I'm going to go to the baseball game instead. Our flesh and Satan's going to work any way possible. Ah, it would just be easier to... I'm, I'm going to go golfing this morning on Sunday morning and then, you know, because I can watch Rich tonight and then say something to him this week that made it look like I listened to him. Okay. Yeah. See, uh, saying, oh, go, golf plus Rich, it doesn't get any better than that. Satan will use anything and our flesh will default, will default right to isolationism. It's the most dangerous spot to be in because we weren't created to be alone and we weren't redeemed to follow Jesus alone. We've got to fight isolationism. The second thing we've got to do is this. We've got to dig deep. Dig deep. Here's what I mean by that. You get what you ask for. So when you're in relationship with people and you ask, hey, how's the weather today? Hey, how about them Vikings? What do you get? You get the weather and bad talk about the Vikings. So you're not creating any depth at all, and then you wonder why what? No one's here for me when I'm going through a difficult time. Because you've created shallow relationship. You get what you ask for. And if everything is surface level, you're never going to enter into authentic, deep friendship. Now, I'm not saying on Sunday morning you need to walk up to someone and say, so, how did you sin this week? Okay, please don't do that. We don't want this place to empty out next week. However, there should be moments and places where we can have that level of conversation. So I want to encourage you. Let me just give you some practical questions. How can you dig deep? Again, you've got to find the right place and the right time. You dig deep maybe by simply saying this. What is causing stress this week? So maybe say, what are you celebrating this week? Those two questions, if you build those into your repertoire, the beauty of those two questions is this. They work with non-Christians and Christians. And so it provides an opening even to care deeper about other people. Now, when you're talking to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, you might say something very simply. What have you been praying for lately? Because you pray for what's important, right? God, save that job for me. God, help my son through this situation. We pray for what's important. Let me just ask somebody, what have you been praying for lately? It helps reveal their heart. How about this? How has the Bible shaped your thinking lately? How has the Bible shaped your thinking lately? 
well, you know, I've been reading this and it's got me thinking about X or Y. This is a big question. What are you afraid of these days? Because you identify someone's fear, you get to the root of what's causing a lot of challenges in their life. What are you afraid of? I'm afraid my, my mom's not going to really accept when I start doing X, or my, my dad's not going to accept this, or my siblings aren't going to invite us back anymore. You get right to the root of a lot of stuff. What are you afraid of? My coworkers are I'm not going to get invited to the watering hole anymore. What are you afraid of? Again, the right context and the right time, ask the questions. And then finally, ask somebody, who are you seeking to tell about Jesus? Who are you seeking to tell about Jesus? Why? Maybe you know that person too. You're like, hey, you know what? I know them too. We met one time. Hey, let's take, you know what? I'll be praying for him now too. I never thought about that. You help them think through. Well, how can you bring up the conversation? Again, this isn't rocket science. It's not like, oh, I was just wondering, do you know the quadratic formula? No. This is simply what? Conversing about life. We've got to dig deep. Find the right time and the right place. Dig deep. Fight isolation. Dig deep. And thirdly, take time. None of this happens overnight. Relationships cannot be microwaved. Everything can be microwaved nowadays, right? I mean, it's just like, whoa, people are putting Totino's pizzas, the best pizza in the market, in the microwave. That's absurd. You lose the whole value and the beautiful taste of the crunchy crust. You can't microwave everything. You cannot microwave relationship. It's going to take time. When we first got married, my wife and I got married, and I was like, holy cow, she brushes her teeth forever. I get three loads of laundry, the dishes, and all of the kids put to bed while she's brushing her teeth. I mean, it's like, come on. But in reality, guess who's had no cavities when they've gone to the dentist? It shows. It shows who puts in the time because the time makes all of the difference in the world. Are you putting in the time? Time is the new currency. Where are you spending it? Where are you spending your time? Relationships take time. Fight isolationism. Dig deep. Take time. Finally, mentally, very simply mentally, remember what unites us. Remember what unites us. How much more than right now do we need this in the church? Humanity is first and foremost united in that they are created in the image of God. Every human being is created in the image of God. That's what unites humanity as a whole. Every human being outside of this room, guess what? You're united to that person because they have inherent value and worth because of their creator. Now, in this room, for those proclaiming Jesus Christ, you have another level of unity. That unity is Jesus. Here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. If you have your Bible still open to Galatians, just turn back a chapter and look at Galatians 3, verse 28. Galatians 3, 28 says this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our unity is not in our similarity. Our unity is is in the person of Jesus Christ. 
we have a deeper bond and a deeper unity because we have the same person, the same being that's the most important in both of our lives. And so when you come into relationship with another Christian, you can go to a deeper relationship faster than anything else in the world. Why? Because you're already united. You have the exact same bond, Jesus. And so in the church, guess what? Not everyone's going to be similar. And guess what? We're not always going to think the same way about different issues and things. But that's not where our unity is. Our unity is in Jesus. And so this morning, start there with people. Find that person who loves Jesus. Dig deep. Take time. And even that person that's just getting started with Jesus, guess what? You've got the unity already because both of you are clinging to the same person. We are united in Jesus Christ. We can have different political opinions. We can have different financial methods, different sporting interests and hobby interests. That's fine and that's great. We should have more of that because we have the fundamental thing that unites us. That's the person of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, if we're going to pursue this community that we've been created for, we've got to fight against being isolated. We've got to dig deep. We've got to take time. And we've got to remember that our unity is based in Jesus. You and I have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been bought into the family of God. We've been redeemed into a community called the church. And in order for us to strive, we've got to fight isolationism. We've got to dig deep, take time, and remember our unity is in Jesus. A vibrant spiritual life without belonging is like saying, you're Super Bowl champion, Minnesota Vikings. We all know that's a contradiction. I have a vibrant spiritual life without belonging to others is like saying, I drink healthy soda. It simply doesn't exist. A vibrant spiritual life begins by recognizing that we were not created to be alone and we were not redeemed to follow Jesus Christ alone. When we realize the necessity of others, we can begin to say, I need help. I will help. Let us pray. Gracious Creator, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we praise you that you are a triune God today, one in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one another. God, we come before you this morning asking now that you'd give us a desire for relationship. Lord, I pray this morning that you would specifically give each of us a desire to take the time with others. Give each of us an opening to dig deep with others. And Lord, I pray that today you would quench the work of the evil one. Quench our flesh. Quench the evil spirit that seeks to isolate us. God, we pray that your spirit would burn in our hearts the truth of Jesus as our source of unity. So God, we come before you now thanking you for redeeming us and asking that you'd surround us now with others that could encourage us and walk alongside of us. We praise you for the gift of church, and we ask that you would help us be faithful as your church. In Jesus' name, amen.